Welcome back to the show. I'm Christabel Insiabwedi. On today's show, we're taking the mic to Los Angeles. So if anyone knows, uh, Los Angeles is, is literally where I'm at as well. I'm speaking with Blaine D. Tima, who is the host of the Afro Existential Podcast. Uh, Blaine, I want to hand it over to you. Tell us more about what you do. I know that you're a podcaster. You, you do many, many things. And I feel like you're going to do a better job of telling uh, our listeners what you do, but we're going to be speaking about uh, some of the body of your work and the Afro existential podcast. But I really want to get into how you're changing narratives of, of black folk around the world. But tell us a bit more about what you do. First of all, welcome to Los Angeles. We are happy to have you in our city. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank um, you. I host a show called the Afro existential podcast. It's part of the Broadway podcast network. And uh, that is a podcast that uh, I co-created with a um, friend of mine, Indira Wilson. And it was really to be able to have the opportunity to get my work out the way I wanted it to be out and to not have to have the permission of like a gatekeeper to allow me to do it. And Indira really wanted to do, excuse me, a podcast. And so we really kind of had the freedom to kind of create from scratch what we wanted. And I never really had that freedom before. And my Mm -hmm. intention was to really be able to, for the first time, hear my work the way it was in my head and how I um, wrote it. Um, And also to build interviews around the audio play, which is called Dead Weight, um, that would be helpful Mm. to content creators. And so after we created Mm -hmm. this audio play and we did it like an old fashioned radio program, something that could be on like the BBC back love in the day that. or something. And, yeah, yeah, um, I love that. Uh-huh. Then after we had that, um, we shared it and we were kind of, I guess, discovered by the Broadway Podcast Network who was just, start. they were just starting out. And because we produced and created our own content, we were an easy fit for them. So all they really had to do was air the content. Mm. And so once we had this platform, we thought, well, now we have Mm -hmm. to do interviews. And we began to reach out to content creators and to interview them and build it around the audio play. And so what I was interested in, I really wasn't interested in promoting what someone was doing but more so finding out how they did it. A lot of times, if you have Mm -hmm. a guest on a show, at least my experience is they come on and they are really reading from their press release. And as you know, the press release and the reality are two separate things. And people don't necessarily know that. (laughs) And um, I really, that served no purpose to me. I really wanted to like dig deep and find out how they did it, you know? And a lot of times Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. 
simplify it so much. You know, I, I wanted to write a book and I wrote it and bippity boppity boop. And now it's a bestseller. Right. And you know that that is not the case. You know, you got to sleep with a lot of people. You got to sleep around a lot to get the book to be a bestseller. (laughs) (laughs) But for, for people who are listening to this conversation, um, and if you if you're unfamiliar with Blaine's work, Blaine, you're you're an artist, you're a playwright, and an author. And you said a lot of things just now, which I'm interested in, right? Which is, in terms of your podcast, I'm going backwards now. You were f- interested in finding out the how. So how did people make it? How did people right. make the sausage, right? Which really talks is some of the thing that I'm interested in as well, because really it's about the lumps and bumps that make us the expert in the thing, but also that shapes us into doing the thing and really also tests us into, you know, like the thing that I thought I wanted, am I still going to do it? Like you have this beautiful thing. How did you get there? So that I'm, I'm interested in, and I don't certainly want to delve into that with you. Um, and then you said that, um, with this podcast, you, you wanted to, to, in terms of your work, um, I've written down here, um, you wanted to hear something, you wanted to hear it in a way that you, you'd never heard it before or that you never had the freedom to hear before, which I think is really crucial. Right. So let's, and I, I find that we're, we're always building the stuff that we, we, we didn't feel that we had. So in terms of that creative freedom, which is what I think you're talking about, can you tell us a little bit about that? So rather than, you know, going back to the beginning, I did A, B and C as, as a creative what is the freedom that you didn't have? So there's have? a saying called sometimes you have to dance with the one that brung you. Right? So <laughs> what that, that means before. is is that when you create something, you know, you're really, is it, this is my experience, right? So, you know, I go into a space and I'm creating something from scratch. So whether it's a, a book or a play um, or a podcast, I'm really kind of doing it by myself in this space. And I enjoy, I love mm. that so much. And it's an innate thing that I just, it, it brings me so much joy and I can do it for hours. At some point you have to leave your bubble and begin to share it in the sense that you may need somebody <laughs> to direct or produce or, do other ask, you know, to help you get it to an audience. And you may not have a lot of options in regards to who can get it to the next space. And so my experience has been over the years is having to say, well, okay, this person wants to produce this. Um, Now they're going to find maybe the director or someone's going to direct it. And people have, what I find is, is that um, my work is satire and it can be, it's, I can confidently say that it is very humorous. And sometimes people only lob onto the humor and miss everything else. Mm. And so the humor is really kind of coding Mm -hmm. some like major issue. But if you're only playing the funny, or picking up the funny, then it, the work can be misinterpreted. And what I find is, is that mm-hmm. um, people are not interested 
and your intention or what it's really about. They may ask you, right, what the meaning is behind it or whatever, but that's all really just lip service because they are lobbying on to you based upon where the work is going, based upon what they see in it, based upon what's in their wheelhouse, right? And that may have nothing to do with you. And um, I had an experience Mm. with a um, children's book, I guess, last year. And I had finally gotten to the point where, um, and it was about Black identity and Black people being removed from art history. Art history. Mm -hmm. Art history. You said art history. It was a children's book. History. Done in this kind of like Dr. Seuss kind of way. But ultimately, underneath it, it's about this very brown-skinned, beautiful girl that loves art and discovers that she's been moved, that Black people have been removed from art history, from the masterpieces. So what's defined as a masterpiece? I, you know, I signed a book deal. And it was very, it was very, the process was um, painful because there was a lot of Mm -hmm. um, microaggressions that were going, that were happening in real time, you know? And I was really having to kind of deal with that, but really wanted to keep the process going. And at the end of the day, it didn't end very well and we went our separate ways, but, you know, I told them, I said, I asked you in the beginning of this process what you thought this book was about. And the book is about Mm -hmm. how Black people have been removed from art history. And what you have done and what you're proposing is removing me and my art from this project and putting the work of a white artist Mm -hmm. on the cover. So you're doing exactly what this book is talking about. Is talking against. And did you not have any black friends or black colleagues that you ran this by? And I knew what the answer was. I knew the answer was no. That you ran this by before you made this proposal to me. But I say that to say that um, I really wanted a book deal. And I really wanted a big publisher. Um, And so I was trying to like, Keep the ball rolling. You know, they're saying this. I was trying trying to to make make it work. work. And it's one of those things where um, you know they're giving you misinformation for a fact. Like, you know it's misinformation. Right? And how do you correct it? How do you move through it? Um, Can you move through it? And so, um, for me, and I told them in the beginning, you know, it's, it's not about the money because they offered, they doubled what they were going to offer me. And I was like, it's not about that. I just want to have an honest relationship. And I want you to advocate as my editor for this, this project. But I think what they really just wanted to do was like tick off a box that said we did something black. Mm. Right. And so I often mm. wonder so then- about other artists in different situations where that money would have been really 
important and they may have been they may have had to take it right but i couldn't go out and talk about or promote a book that's about misrepresentation when a caucasian artist did the cover of the book and it's been rewritten by caucasian editors and so Yikes. going back to you know sometimes you have to dance with the one that brung you it's um it becomes a challenge to want to get your work done, but you really have to have the right team of people working with you um, and not really kind of against you, if that makes any sense. It does. How do you find that team? Because what you have outlined here really gets to the heart of, you know, when we talk about trying to change narratives or trying to trying to have the freedom of expressing ourselves, right, bringing that nuance in. And I'm talking about specifically about black creators or underrepresented creators, people who are very much underrepresented in the media in general. Right. There is that dance of well, I need to get paid. I'd like to get paid for this because I'd like to have a career out of this, right? But also I'm doing it by myself. Oh, I've been recognized by somebody who has the the influence, right? And so I, how do I partner with them? And then you also hear about people who are like, you know, well, I've birthed the thing and then it takes on a life of its own, right? And so from what you're saying, it almost feels like that idea of something taking a life of its own feels like a privilege when you have been so underrepresented and th there's a story that's important that has to be told in a, um, in a specific truth, essentially, how do you walk that line? Do you have an answer for that? Because you've just told us about a, an experience where you couldn't do that. How do you well, walk that line? What, what are the things that, that, that in hindsight well, you could have done? Because I, <laughs> what often happens is, is that I have this conversation with myself you know, of, you know, you find someone, they want to take your work to the next level and uh, you find that they have a different agenda. And um, I mm -hmm. always try to like keep the ball rolling as much as I can until it gets to a point where mm -hmm. I just can't. And, you know, I will blow up the room or I will, you know, burn the bridge because I can't. Um, and people think when that happens that you're being difficult in that moment. But what they don't realize is that there have been a lot of moments mm -hmm. up to that point. I think ultimately the only thing that mm -hmm. I've been able to do is when those things happen is just continue to create my own work in that bubble and mm -hmm. then figure out ways to share it um, the way I want it to be shared. And so um, it's not going to, um, it may not be in the big, you know, the big theater um, to a massive audience, but at least I'm doing it the way I envisioned it. You know, and there have mm -hmm. been two, there's, it's really, it's very, very painful um, to create something and you know what your intention is and someone reinterprets it mm -hmm. and it's misinterpreted and that is always blamed on me. So the audience doesn't know mm. that, you know, it was changed or this was cut out or this was put in or this is how the actor or the director interpreted it. They don't know that. They only know, um, you know, they see my name on it. And a lot, 
oft there have been times when people have come to me to point those things out. And, you know, I'm not going to throw people under the bus, but they were things that um, I, I didn't win the fight over to keep in or to have. And a lot of times mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. people don't understand something, instead of trying to get an understanding of it, they want it removed or cut out, right? If something doesn't work, well, right. then it's not how the actor did it. It's how I wrote it. You're listening to Audio Diaspora with me, Christabel Incia Bwadi. Check us out. Visit our website. We are at Audio Diaspora, all lowercase, all one word, dot com. Again, that's Audio Diaspora dot com. We're also on the socials. Find us under that name, Audio Diaspora. Let's keep listening. So then I have a question. I have a question for you in, in terms of that process, right? People often say, you know, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, when you create something, yeah, it takes on a life of its own and it's shaped, right? So in your particular, you, you know, I think people often think about that when the work has come out and it's like after the process you, you've outlined, right? Like it's come out and I've shared it with the world and people interpret it the way that they do, which is what we do with art all the time. But really what you're talking about or what I'm hearing you say is, um, in that interpret- interpretation, there was such a, a chasm in, in understand. There was a lack of understanding in not just your intention, but what you were actually trying to do. That that became the fight. So then, the question for for me for me is that in in hindsight, or or I mean, you you've done a lot of work. So how do you protect the work? You're you're kind of talking about it in terms of making sure that you're looking at other avenues. But when you're approaching somebody and you want other people to, to work with you, partner with you, for example, because it's for me, I'm like, yikes, you're working with a partner, but that partner may not understand what you're doing. And then they're changing it in a way that that makes it look and completely different. Too, How do what, you deal what with also that? Happens, any creative thing that you do, it goes through many hands. Right. And so if it's a play. Yes. There's a producer. Right. And there is a goal that they have. Mm-hmm the director sees something. Yes. Right. And so they're going to interpret it based upon what they're pulling from it. And then actors come in and based upon their ability and what they can do and what they can't do, um, the piece is going to change. And so I've tried doing one person pieces. I've tried doing with the cast of people and I have not figured out. um, It's always, it's almost like everybody has to be the right fit, right? And you're not always going to yeah. um, have that. And um, or if it's a book, you know, it's the editor. The editor is going to come in and reinterpret it. Um, the marketing department may say, you know what? We can mm-hmm. you make this girl thinner or taller or lighter or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it may not be so direct, yeah. but. Um, there's all these pieces that kind of come in. So by the time something comes out, you may not know what it's going to be. In regards to protecting, honestly, I've worked in um, entertainment for probably 25, 30 years. There's really no real way to protect your work because what can happen is you can have um, a great story that you pitch and bring in, right? And this is your childhood story 
about how your mother made brownies for you every Sunday, blah, 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 blah. And it made you the woman that you are now. What I can do is go, oh, you know what? That's fantastic. We're doing the exact same. We read your script. We're doing the exact same story about a woman, but her mother made apple pie. Now, what they've done is they've taken your story and they just switched it and put apple pie in it. And that's enough of a switch mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to say that it's not, so your, it's not story your story anymore. anymore. And they're, now they're telling that. And a quick story is um, I was mm-hmm. in a theater writing program several many years ago, and I submitted a new play that I had written. And I never heard back from the artistic director. Right. And so years mm-hmm. later, that play was being in the process of being produced. And mm-hmm. we I don't know how this happened, but we heard that they were doing. In, in, in a theater in Pasadena, they were doing that play. They were using my work mm-hmm. without my permission. And it was just happenstance that the okay. guys came together and we found out about it. But they were <laughs> using, and I never got any acknowledgement that they got the work, that they liked it or that they didn't like it. The next thing that I heard was there was a master class for directors where my work was being used to teach directors from around the country how to direct a one-person show. Now, what happened from that is, which I call under the hustle, the hustle category, the producer that I had at the time hustled a deal that got that play of mine into their main theater. Does that make sense? And so because, because this artistic director who was black used my work without my permission, my producer said, wait a minute, that's not right. We need to work out something. And that got me in a co-production with that theater, which wouldn't have happened before. And so, right. So (laughs) so it's, it's very difficult. You know, once you put your work out there, you don't know who's going to see it, who's going to read it, and you hope for the best. And even if you have an agent or representation, you know, their agenda can be shifty, shady as well, because they want to stay in a good relationship mm. with whoever, the studio, the theater, because they want to bring other people through. Yes. Right. That's that's their bread and butter. So then, in all of this heartache, which is that's that's very painful, a lot of the stuff that you've outlined, that then brings us back to this idea of like creating a space where you your work could could be you could have the freedom of creating the work and putting it in in a place where people could hear that. Is is that where is that that's where the the podcast comes in? Yes, that was um the the Afro Existential podcast. I had written a play called Dead Weight a journey in Afro-existentialism. Mm-hmm. And my, once again, my friend and I, and Dear and I, we decided to produce it as an audio play. And, you know, I thought that she was going to be able to edit it and that we would, you know, we would get together and she would do the editing because I had no experience doing it at all. The pandemic happened, right? Oh, and boy, so we weren't able happen. to yeah. physically <laughs> get together 
And, you know, she has a family and kids and obligations. And so I just started piecing it together. And ultimately, I ended up editing it all myself. And in the process of having no idea how to do it, really having to teach myself sound engineering and not even knowing what that is, right? And so a lot of times we do stuff and we don't even know that there's a name for it. Right. We don't know that, oh, you're playing the role of a publicist. Oh, you're playing the role of a producer. Mm -hmm. Right. We're just doing whatever it takes to get the work done. And so, you know, there was it took forever. I was on a lot of Adderall. So I was very focused on getting the task done. Um, But it was a lot of trial and error. But it it was a great experience um, because then it got me ready to then begin to do the interviews and sound engineering for the interview aspect of the podcast. And once again, a lot of trial and error. And ultimately what happened was all of the shortcomings or mistakes, I just kind of built in and made them kind of work and build it into the style of the show. And working for other people, I don't think I would have been able to... um, take the time with myself and allow myself to make mistakes, to figure things out on my own time, working for someone else. Or Mm -hmm. I definitely wouldn't have had the freedom to create what ultimately came out of it. And I know that there are people like us all over who have a wide range of experiences and we live in multiple worlds and we can be like very lowbrow, in certain circumstances and go to that shady club, you know, and do whatever. And then we... (laughs) I don't know (laughs) what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) And then we can also go to very... We have to also fit into very highbrow places where we may be the only person that looks like us. And we have um, a a wider range of contacts and friends and references. And so I love having the opportunity to use all of those things because once again, I'm writing for you. I'm writing for the listeners of this podcast because I know that we are out there, right? And so um, Mm. I feel like a lot of gatekeepers have a very specific idea of who we are as Black people. And if you don't fit into Mm -hmm. that, then... If you don't fit into that or your work is not based, does not have them centered in it or is not reacting to their whiteness, then it's they don't they don't know what it is and they don't have the ability to Mm -hmm, suspend mm -hmm. disbelief. And so. Well, I would push back and say it's not about suspending disbelief, isn't it? About just connecting, really, because it's like, or empathizing, because if you don't, just because it's not your experience, it doesn't mean that it doesn't well, we know exist, that. right? Right. We figured that out, right? But, you know, what I call, you know, I came up with this idea for um, Afro existentialism. And basically, it means is like life is unfair. So strategize your life accordingly. Uh-huh. Culturally, delve delve deeper into that because in my in our head, when we think about Afro um, existentialism, 
Yes, that can fit in. But but tell us a bit more about that before you continue. So I'm, cu- I'm curious. We are brought up, at least in the United States, that, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, if you're the best and the yeah. smartest and you get the most stars, then you'll get the job. You will you rise, will rise to, the to the top. Yeah, exactly. All over the world. Oh, all over and the world. so we buy into that philosophy, which is really an existential, a pop version of existentialism. Right, that you are responsible for everything that happens in your life. If you work hard enough. Oh my goodness. Right. And so we we buy into that. Yeah. Right. But then there's another reality of you know that that is not true. You know that there are singers who have amazing <laughs> voices that don't get record deals. You know, you know that there are people who are more talented that don't get the promotion. Right. And so we live in this split divide. Right. And so I think about it as um, if you were going to um, get a car from a car dealership, you know that they are trying to upsell you. That's just part of it. Right. And so, you know, that, you know, if you're going to Vegas, that the house is going to win. And so you go in and you prepare. You either bring someone to the car dealership with you, you do your research, you know you only have a certain amount of money. So you plan accordingly, you strategize, right? I'm going to Vegas, I'm only gonna gamble $150, that's it, right? But we don't do that um, (laughs) with anything, with oftentimes we don't do that in other situations. And I feel like, with George Floyd and all the violence that was happening around the world, um, how many instances do we need to have and be surprised about, you know, when these things happen to us? Right. And right. so life is not fair. Right. You know what I mean? You may get pulled over. Right. Period. You know what I mean? You may not get that job. You may not get that house. You know, you may not get that play produced. Right. Um, you may be attacked going to wherever you're going. Life is not fair, right? So we can no longer mm-hmm. hope or have the, you can have hope, but have the notion of, oh, well, you know, this shouldn't happen. Well, no, it shouldn't happen. But in the meantime, between time, what are you going to do to keep yourself, your children, your family safe? You have to strategize and know that, you know, this is how they see you. You know, they may be very nice and whatever, but when when it shit hits the fan, like this is how you're perceived. And so what are you going to do to kind of um, protect yourself? And right. or rather say or rather say or I would even say, like, create a space for yourself where you can yes. be. Right. And protect yourself right. as well. But yeah, but it's yeah. like, you know, we, we move in others. We move out of our comfortable spaces into different spaces. One of the things I say is like, how would you play a game if you knew it was rigged against you before you sat down, right? And so in one of our podcasts, um, there is a famous bodybuilder named Tony Pearson, who, to make a very long story Mm -hmm. short, it's a fantastic interview, Um, but he came to California and ultimately wanted to train to become, I think it was Mr. America. And so he trained, 
he had won smaller competitions and trained for a year to become Mr. America, got to the competition and found out behind stage that they had already picked the winner. They had picked the winner <laughs> and set up the whole marketing campaign for the whole year for this other already. Already. And so if you, he had no money, everything was invested in him winning Mr. America. And when you win Mr. America, all the money comes in, right? And so what do you do when you find out that this game is rigged? How do you play it at that particular point? Right. And so that's what the podcast is about. And what I want to offer people is, is that some people have figured out things and that's the information that I want Mm -hmm. to be shared, you know? And so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what we don't share with each other. And we may not even, we may be so deep into the hustle that we haven't, you know, how often do our answers like not write a recipe down for for food, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. Where can people listen to your podcast? Anywhere and everywhere? Anywhere and everywhere you enjoy podcasts. I love that. And where can we connect with you? I know we can connect with you on IG. I have, uh, you I have can, checked that uh, out. My email is the existential podcast at gmail.com. I love that. What's next for you? You know, that's funny. You know, it's just really kind of, I'm, I'm doing this and it's just, um, I don't know what's next. You know, one of the things I think is, is just like mm. create whatever you're going to create, but don't really try not to get attached to the outcome. You know what I'm Oof. saying? Can you say that again, so please, for a create, friend? You know, do what you're going to do. First of all, you know, have a goal and a te- intention for where you want your work to be. Create it and complete it, but don't get attached to the outcome, you know. And so when I did this, mm, when we created so this, I could have no idea that, you know, in 2023, I would be speaking to someone from the UK about podcasts all over the world. Right. So I couldn't have even have dreamed that. Oh my so, goodness. you know, do it with the right intention <laughs> and do the work. Make sure you finish it and put it out there and just see, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So don't get attached to it having to be it's only successful if it did this. Right. Right. Blaine D. Tima, this is really lovely listening to you kind of talk about. Uh, the lumps and bumps that you sustained, but the wisdom that you got out of it. Looking forward to checking out more of your show. Everybody, you should check it out. Blaine, can you tell the listeners one more time the it name the of your Afro show? Existential Podcast. Existential. There we go. Make Thanks sure you so check much. it out. Thank you so much for listening to Audio Diaspora with me, Christabel Insiabwadi. I did not produce this show alone. The team includes Eugene Kidd, Cerise Small, and Larissa Witcher. Thank you again for listening and join us next time. Audio Diaspora is a production of My Lens Media.